0: Good morning again. Feels like we just saw each other. (laughs) Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers who are here today, as well as those who are worshiping with us at home. We are so thankful that you've chosen to spend some time with us today, especially with the rainy weather this morning. I'm just kind of. But today is a special day. It's a day when we honor our dads and those who are like dads, and we celebrate the impact they've had on our lives, whether whether they're here with us still today or not. Um, But this weekend, this weekend isn't just about dads. There's another thing that is commemorated this weekend, and it is called Juneteenth, Now, for some of us, that is a rather new thing that we have heard about, but um, it is something that's been around since 1865. And when I sat down this week, I thought about this sermon. We had been thinking about it for months. But as I began to sit down and sort through my notes and my thoughts for this week, it had just been signed into law that this would be a federal holiday. Matter of fact, it's the first new federal holiday since 1983, when MLK was made official. So it's a small step. But what I really wanted to tell you about today is the night that I first learned about Juneteenth. Um, and it wasn't really that long ago. It was in October of 2017 while watching an ap- episode of Blackish on TV. And what turned, what was supposed to be, you know, like a lazy night sitting on the couch, um, just kind of not doing anything really turned into a pivotal point in my faith walk with Christ. Because it was the day when I began to realize that the things I learned in the dark needed to be spoken about in the light. Now, if you're not sure of the details surrounding Juneteenth, here is a very short, and I mean short elevator version of it. It is the oldest known African-American celebration that began on June 19, 1865, when an Army Union ship sailed to Galveston, Texas, that was commanded by General Gordon Granger. I've had to practice saying that a lot this week. Galveston, Texas, General Gordon Granger. Try to say that three times fast and see if you can do it. But he came there to inform the slaves that they were free. Now, this was two months after the Civil War, and two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had become law. And so I think in a time when we debate what we should and should not talk about in relationship to our history of racial racial strife, that this is a history that does need to be remembered. And it's a history that can teach us about the ongoing struggle for freedom and equity today. Juneteenth is a day that needs to be told about in the light. And it's a day for some to celebrate and others commemorate because not all of us have the same experience. But it's also a day when we can come together as the body of Christ and be a visible sign of unity, telling in the light what for so long has been known about only in the dark. For me, for me the day that I learned about Juneteenth It's a day where I felt like I came to this fork in the road of my walk of faith, a place where Jesus showed me what my choices were and then led me to begin to decide if I was going to investigate what it was I did and did not know about history and how it was going to inform my life and faith and how I was going to talk about it, or if I just wasn't going to do anything. But the thing that I've learned in this journey is that this path is not just about race. Instead, it intersects our lives and our world in multiple ways. It runs through our words and our deeds and our attitudes. And it's a path that leads us to choose where we stand and where we're going to go. It's also the only path that truly matters because it's the path of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it has the power to shake up our ideas about who Jesus is, what it means to follow him. It can refine our values, and it can reorient us. And today, when we hear Jesus' call to discipleship in Matthew 10, we're gonna hear him say that we are to tell it in the light, to tell the things of Christ in the light. And we're going to hear him say that we can either stay in the dark or we can live in the light. And we're going to hear a really hard call to discipleship. Not the one that we're typically used to hearing. So lean in and listen to Jesus' words as he is talking to his disciples... ...who he is commissioning to go out into the world. I'm reading from Matthew 10 starting in verse 24. A disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It's enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more might they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered and nothing secret that will not be made known. What I say to you in the dark Tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs on your head are all counted." So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Those are hard words from Jesus. They're not the words that we typically think about. This is not the Jesus that we kind of like know and love. He doesn't fit the mold of what we think Jesus should say and do. If we were to think about words that we associate with Jesus, what are some of the first words that might come to your mind? And I'll start, the first one that comes to my mind is actually peace. What are some other ones that come to mind? Love? Grace? Forgiveness? Blessing? I bet swords and division did not make your list. I'm going to bet those words not come into your mind at any point. Yet here we have Jesus saying, that's what I've come to do. And the world that he describes that's so full of threats, it seems kind of disconnected from the safe world that we inhabit. But let's be honest, we love the dazzling Jesus who is more like us than we want to admit, We like a Jesus who is like a lucky charm or an untouchable icon that will protect us from harm and betrayal and division. We like to think that Jesus is going to lead us along the easy paths of life. But that's not the Jesus we get here. Now, this Jesus is gritty and challenging as well as loving and compassionate. And when he first said these words, he was talking, as I said to his disciples, he was preparing them to go out into the world to share the good news. He's talking to faithful people who are seeking to live into their faith while facing conflict, discouragement, and perhaps even threats, all because of the gospel. I mean, that's what he tells them. And so maybe we like to think that maybe these words were just for them. But in all honesty, they're not just for them. They're for us because we as followers of Christ claim that we are disciples of Christ. These are words that can call us from where we are or any place that we have ever been, and they can lead us. They can lead us out of darkness and send us to tell the truth of Jesus in the light, even when it maybe doesn't feel good. They send us up from the depths to proclaim his love from the housetops, from the heights. These are words that bring about true peace, but not peace that we think about in the traditional sense, but maybe peace that feels more like a sword. A sword that is cutting through our loyalties, our complacent living, and our easy compromise. They may lead us to think about what it means to follow Jesus and if we're really willing to do it. That's what happened for me on the night of 2017. And I imagine we all can have some sort of experience that we could talk about where we felt like Jesus was calling us to hear, know, and act in some new and different way. A time when Jesus shook us up. Now, when I began deep diving into this history of Juneteenth and learning more about it, I had to do it within the context of who Jesus is and how he lived his life. That meant I had to read history alongside scripture. And I'm going to be honest, sometimes that was not so easy because what I found is that the two things didn't always match up the way that I wanted them to. But learning is key. It's the first step that we have to take any time we seek to understand something in a new way or in the context of our faith. It develops our values and it helps us prioritize what's truly important. You see disciple means learner. And it's not in the sense that we think of students today where they go into a classroom and somebody tells them something and then typically they kind of regurgitate it and Onto a test. Disciple in the time of Jesus, it meant to actively imitate both the life and teaching of the Master. It was like being in in an apprenticeship where ultimately the final goal was to be formed into a living copy of the Master. So to follow Jesus, it means to live a life or to pursue a life that is modeled right after Jesus in word and in action. It means we have to pause and we have to learn from him. And we learn when we learn from him, we learn who he is. And that helps us know how we can be, what we can say, and how we can say it. And if you look there in the scripture, that's what Jesus says is enough. Isn't it enough? For the servant to be like the master. It's all that is required. But a lot of times the fi- world finds this difficult. It doesn't tolerate change well. In scripture, on the other hand, it, it really says the opposite. It teaches us that a life of faith is just that thing. It's a growth and a movement toward a goal to be like Jesus. And that we have to be willing to learn new things, not as an end to themselves, but so they can guide our journey. Following Jesus' boundary-breaking ways can be messy. But as we grow, we see how compromising our values and beliefs and hopes for the sake of the status quo dims in comparison to the transforming love and grace that Jesus has poured out into the world. Kingdom work is not just about conventional kindness. It's about struggle and sacrifice. It's about knowing that the world's ways are not necessarily always aligned with Jesus' ways and still choosing to live as Jesus lived. It means that we always choose to live on the side of love. That we don't try and force people to be who we want them to be, but we help them grow and go with Jesus. And that's how people and communities thrive. When the love of Christ is told and heard and embraced. When we follow Jesus, we share the truth that we know in the light because Jesus loves us and we love Jesus. We want this experience of love to be the same for all people. But telling things in the light, proclaiming it from the rooftops, that's not easy. Matter of fact, it's scary. Some of us might even say it's terrifying because we really like to stay in our comfort zone. We were just talking about that this morning, how over the past year, we've really gotten comfortable in our, this is my space, and I'm going to stay here. We like that comfort zone, and to be pushed out of our comfort zone, that, it doesn't feel good. But it also refines what we begin to understand as important. It's kind of like when silver is refined. Does anybody know anything about the process of refining silver? If you refine silver, you've got this metal, and it's all about purifying it. And it differs from other processes, because other processes seek to change the chemical makeup of the metal. But refining it means that the material will remain exactly the same. It will just be purer. And so in order to do this, the silversmith has to sit there with the silver and hold it in the fire and watch it continually until he knows that it's ready. And the way that the silversmith knows that it is ready is because he can see his image in the metal, in the silver. When we choose to do, as Jesus says, We're refined. We become more and more who God has created us to be. And while the world may push back against us, Jesus is constantly working to transform us so that we are created in God's image, that we are brought back to that perfection. And Jesus tells the disciples here in the Scripture that people are going to be willing to say disparaging things about him. And if they're willing to say disparaging things about Jesus, then they're certainly going to be willing to say disparaging things about those who follow him. And he acknowledges that because of that, it's easy to be fearful, that we may not want to walk in his path. He knows that fear can also lead to a failure of discipleship. And so he points to God as the only one who we are to follow And listen to. And he goes on to say that when we name things in the light that people might resist and challenge, we are set free from that grip of fear, that we are given freedom in Christ. We're refined, our values and our lives are pure, because discipleship makes all other claims on our lives and identities secondary. And taking up the cross, It's choosing where we're going to stand in relationship to the good news of Jesus. It's a public call, not just a personal one, to follow. And it's not about carrying our burdens around quietly and piously, but instead, it's about setting ourselves on the same path as Jesus, on the same trajectory as Jesus. Yeah, there's a struggle with living into this call. But when things that are held in the dark are told in the light, the world changes. Now, there will be an outcry and there will be pushback. But holding the things or exposing the things that are held in the dark to the light, it isn't wrong. But we do have to ask what we are willing to lose for the sake of love. Love. Are we willing to lose our comfort and security? Are we willing to sit and listen and walk with those who are marginalized? Will we build relationships, hold space with, and welcome people as Jesus did? And will we follow the difficult path even when we know it will be met with resistance? Jesus reorients us. As our confidence grows in speaking difficult words, we find more and more that we are standing between our hope and our reality. I'll be honest, since 2017, since I had that night there on my couch and began diving into things, I've had more difficult and hard conversations than I've ever had in my life, and they have also been some of the most rewarding conversations that I've ever had with people, and not just people who thought like me, but All sorts of people. There is a freedom in speaking Christ's truth. And I wouldn't trade it. Jesus teaches us that sticking to the status quo or staying quiet for comfort or out of fear does not reflect faithful living. But Jesus instead is about restoration. He looks at what is there. He sees what can be. And then he works to perfect it. If you've ever watched a do-it-yourself show like on HGTV, you know what I'm talking about. They go into these old houses, they look at all this craziness, then they develop this vision, and then they work to bring it back to life. There's always action and engagement. Jesus graciously calls us to grow in faith and to live with hopeful expectation, But choosing to walk in the steps of Jesus, faithfully proclaiming and practicing the gospel, it's gonna put us on a collision course often with the world. We may lose friends, families, neighbors, and the list goes on. I don't think that the list that Jesus offers us in Scripture is totally exhaustive. But we do find ourselves by finding Jesus. And following Jesus is the only choice. That leads to life. The experience of learning about Juneteenth led me to investigate and evaluate how I believe Jesus might respond to a myriad of challenges and issues in our world. This meant I had to look closely and listen closely to what he said and did. And even though we might want to think about Jesus as being the gentle shepherd who is leading the lost sheep through the world, and down the easy path. And that is a lovely image of Jesus. We also find Jesus in Scripture telling the truth in the light and proclaiming it from the heights. Jesus says the hard things in a loving way. And when we hear Jesus' words here in the Scripture today, we hear an invitation to approach the cross in a new way. No longer accepting and tolerating misery and injustice in God's creation, but instead seeing the cross as a sign and promise of the reign of God that is to come. We can only come, we can only determine how we will respond to it. Will we choose to stand with Jesus or will we go with the world? So today it is a day for us to celebrate to celebrate the hope of light that is no less real than the darkness. We can't always relate to every perspective that people have because not every perspective is our perspective. They're just not all shared. But today is a day where we can believe and we can see people who feel heaviness in their lives. It's a day when we can know that yesterday's hope is not yet fulfilled and can know that in the present, we're able to participate in the work of God in restoring creation to its intended design. A Jewish rabbi once said, it's it's not your responsibility to finish perfecting the world, but neither are you free to desist from it. God gives us freedom to choose where we stand and what we will tell. And standing with Jesus calls us to a truer identity. It rearranges our priorities, and it sets us on a new path. It frees us to tell the good news of Jesus Christ in the light, without fear. And most importantly, with the hope that we know in and through him in our lives. In the name of the Father and of the Son,